It's those everyday small comments that you might hear people make that aren't quite blatantly sexist or racist, but you know that it's coming from a place of, of bias. Yep. And the biggest thing with that is what I talk about in my work is that the culmination of those is what makes you feel like you don't belong. I'm Brandon Dawson, and this is The Distiller, a podcast about how we find meaningful work and how we find meaning in the work we do. My guest for this episode is Myra Ballantyne. Myra is the managing partner and social inclusion specialist at Vector, a virtual reality and augmented reality startup in Cincinnati's Northside neighborhood. If you don't know what virtual and augmented reality are, or even if you do, but you don't know how VR and AR can be used to educate and train around areas of bias and discrimination, well, stick around. You're about to find out. Myra and I met early on Memorial Day morning, Monday morning at Sidewinder Coffee, just down Hamilton Avenue from the Vector offices here in Cincinnati. Behind us throughout the show, you can hear Brandon and the Sidewinder crew starting the day, including the wafting strains of punk bands from the front room during the second half of the show. This show is such a wonderful distillation of why these conversations are so interesting to me. Myra's work story includes a lot of our main themes, following our dreams through adversity, finding meaningful work, sometimes where and when we least expect it, and the value and the satisfaction of pursuing the areas that are meaningful to us, even when circumstances seem to throw endless roadblocks in the way. And at the heart of it all is this wonderful mashup of technology and social inclusion that the Vector team and Myra have created. It's all in there. So here is my conversation with Myra Ballantyne on The Distiller. Let's do it. Cheers. Cheers. Good morning and welcome. Thank you. Thanks for coming on this early Memorial Day morning. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. Uh, we have been trying to set this up for a long time. I've been I know. Really has it been like two months? It has. It's like back and forth, like not this week, but yeah, we yeah. did it. And we finally since we did finally, it. we first met one table over here That's at right. Sidewinder. Well, let's start off. Tell us um, just in the simplest terms, because uh, we'll, we'll kind of build the, the stage a little bit, but tell us what you do very simply right now. Okay, so right now um, I have a startup with my husband. Mm -hmm. It's um, a virtual reality and augmented reality development company. So right now our focus is on creating experiences that are um, about bias. Mm -hmm. So allowing you to stand in someone else's shoes and understand um, from their perspective the daily um, microaggressions and biases that they might face. So like one of our experiences right now is being a woman in the workplace. What does that feel like? So it's kind of an assessment tool for companies to be able to see, um, because we can collect a lot of data in there. So it's like, um, are you noticing bias? Like you have to click every time you notice bias. And at the end, we have a bunch of questions so we can like give you a report of your company at the end, an assessment. Cool. So let's, we will get uh, really deep into that that. because that work and the other things that you guys do, I'm very interested in. Okay. But uh, I would imagine there's a lot of people listening who have no idea what augmented reality is, who have no idea what the difference between virtual reality and augmented reality is, and have no idea how you would start a company, period, much less start a startup like that. So tell us, uh, give us a little bit of your story. Go back kind of as far as you want to go. You're not originally from Cincinnati. You moved here with your with your husband. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't want to tell sure. your story, but how do you, because you're a woman in the tech world, it's a very male-dominated yep. world. Tell us about your education and whatever is relevant to sort of how you get to this point. So where are you, where are you from originally? So I was born in Pakistan, okay. um, lived there um, most up, up to like 13 years old and then I moved to Thailand for a bit and then like back and forth. Um, so, you know, the, the work that we're doing is um, a huge passion of mine. So it's always been about like, for me about like um, justice and about um, like social justice, but right. also like cognitive justice, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think I was very heavily influenced by seeing my parents work. So my dad is a doctor and um, my mom and him basically left a really like cushy, you know, hospital compound and stuff in, in Pakistan and ended up going to 
really far in the north where it was super remote. And they actually uh, started a hospital because there was no medical care there at the time. And there wasn't even proper roads and things like that. Um, so I grew up there. So very much aware of like the social entrepreneurial lifestyle okay. that my parents had. Yeah. Not, not necessarily a tech background. Not, not tech at all. Just, just about doing good for the world and like making a difference. And I was like on the front line seeing okay. my parents do that. Was that something that growing up that your father, uh, that both of your parents talked to you explicitly about? The, the, the moral or social justice aspect of it, or was did it just come through? Um, I think for my parents, it was... My, my dad sort of used that hospital way in the north in a really remote area to actually um, empower people. So to bring people from different parts of the country and come and work there and kind of train mm. them. So oh, okay. he's doing good for the people in that remote area, right? Yeah. And like providing medical care, but then he's also bringing people to like train them to be like, you know, right. lab techs and things like that. So it wasn't something, like we're from a Christian background, so obviously we talk a lot about, we go to church and mm -hmm. like talk about morals and stuff all the right. time, but it was that actually seeing it lived out is what actually, at least for me, creates an impact. So, okay, yeah. cool. And then when it comes time for you to start making decisions, about school and career, how did yeah. that, yeah. were you all into, a lot of people grow up in a Christian background and the first thing they, they think of when they go to school is like, yeah, or just getting completely away from it. Oh, okay. Uh, what was your, yeah. as you were starting to make those decisions about college, what were your motivating factors? So I really wanted to do law school, actually. Okay. Um, again, the whole justice thing coming out, but right. it, it didn't really work out for me to for a lot of reasons, for me to like go to the UK to the school that I wanted to go. Mm -hmm. So my parents kind of wanted me to stay home. So the closest they would let me go was Thailand, actually, because I'd already <laughs> been and they felt okay. comfortable. Yeah. Um, my parents actually, like, like in true fashion of a lot of South Asian parents, wanted me to be a doctor. Mm -hmm. And um, so two of my siblings are doctors, so they got that. Okay. Um, I was kind of the black sheep, but I... <laughs> I, you know, at one point my mom, you know, they were trying to figure out like what I should do. And I was like, mom, I just don't want to touch people. Like I'm just going to wear gloves all the time. She's like, okay, you should not be a doctor. And I was like, okay, good. I'm out. You know, yeah, yeah. for me, I was always interested in, at that point, like I knew I wanted to do something that was going to make a difference. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't know what that was going to be. So I ended up choosing something pretty general and it went to business school. Okay. I was like, management's going to help me do whatever I want. Okay. Yeah, I, I wasn't quite sure. But once I got in there, I was like, okay, I'm going to work something in the nonprofit world. Like always, always back to the, how can I help the mar marginalized group? Yep. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So you go to school in Thailand, graduate yep. with a degree in, ma in business, manage business management. management. Yep. Okay. And then what? And then, so at that point, I was like, okay, I, I know that I want to go back to Pakistan. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of like a goal that I had. And, um, you know, again, one of the things, like I said, my parents had a huge impact. Their work did. And one of the things that I remember, like, as a young, young kid, sometimes sitting in the hospital with my dad was um, just being very aware, you know, at three or four years old, the, the way that women were treated over men mm -hmm. in a lot of Muslim countries, but yeah. specifically in Pakistan. And just being knowing the difference that, oh, the celebration when a boy was born versus a girl. Oh, right, and right. then also hearing like from patients, you know, kind of bruised and battered patients coming in and saying like, oh, I didn't produce a, girl, a boy. Yeah. And so, and it was just oh, so wow. like, yeah, really. So those kind of things, like kids are smart. And I was just like acutely aware, mm -hmm. hey, yeah. there's like something messed up. And I think from that young age, I was like, oh, um, even stories of, look, I was allowed, I was able to go to a really good school, but most of the girls in my village yeah. were kept home yeah. um, because maybe the families could only afford to send the boys or, you know, and I was like, this is just not fair. So that was kind of in me as well. And I think like all these things kind of culminated to me, like, to me being like, I want to go back and like work with marginalized groups. So like religiously persecuted um, people, like mm -hmm. Christians, but especially females, like that was my, yep. my big thing. So I graduated college and actually ended up like teaching a little bit got into like the education space a really um which was just life-changing for me and actually ended up making me want to go to grad school in specifically about learning and development okay yeah so I was pretty lucky um I had a couple of professors actually from Harvard and then like one of my roommates um was also from Harvard, and they kind of encouraged me, like, "Hey, you should go apply apply to Harvard." And yeah. and I had said to my dad because I had said, "Okay, I'm going to go to school in Thailand, but when it comes to grad school, like, I'm going to a good school, like, right. I, like I had that, wherever like, I want to go, yeah, I'm, I'm going." going. Yeah. Um, so 
that in itself was like a huge journey just to even feel the confidence to apply for that because, yeah. you know, and yeah, then ended up in grad school in Boston. Wow. Cambridge, going Cam- to Harvard. Yeah. The yeah. whole, the whole, the whole thing. shebang. Yeah. Yeah. And that was your first time to the U.S.? That was my first time. So I didn't feel, I've grown up in international school, so kind of with kids all over the world. Sure. So I've been like very aware. So it wasn't exactly like that culture shock. Some things were like a culture shock that like, oh, you have the right of way when you cross the road. Like, in other countries, <laughs> you're... Funct- functional things, <laughs> Yeah, right. I was like, yeah. oh, like, in Thailand, you're going to get run over if you uh-huh. try crossing, the, you know. Yeah. You, you have to be really careful. So just little things like that. But otherwise, it was like, oh, I've, I've been around this my whole life. Yeah, it's a very yeah. international environment there. Yeah, yeah so you in weren't, Cambridge. So you weren't too surprised by yeah. it. Yeah. And so you're studying what? So uh, it's, it's a program called Mind Brain Education. So it's about, like, learning and development and then bringing in neuroscience and psychology. Yeah, I, I didn't know that. I think I actually have a friend who graduated from that from that program. Really? Yeah, Annabelle Ferber uh, is a friend of mine uh, from Vermont. Anyway, we'll talk. Oh, okay. I'll we'll have talk, to look on we'll LinkedIn. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's a very specific. Yeah. Program, um, and you finished that. How long is that program? Um, I did it in a year. Yeah. Okay, yeah. and then with what goal? What happens? Yeah. So you know, even to to get to Harvard, the whole the whole thing for me was, hey after I finished school and got really into like learning and you know I want to provide educational opportunities to women in Pakistan um, I was like I'm going to Harvard with this goal in mind and I had a whole like a a whole like group of people supporting me to go Um, you know financially too and just like hey I'm going and it was like this set out this trajectory for myself like I'm coming back and I'm going to be working with these women. I'm going to, like, you know, work with these marginalized groups and give them opportunities and, like, um, you know, maybe at the government level, like, try to change policy and yeah. stuff, you know? Um, so for those of you who don't know, like, Pakistan has, like, one of the highest rates of kids out of school. Like, it's pretty, okay. pretty horrendous. Yeah. Um, so I... It, uh, like, say more about that. At, at all ages, just children not attending school or like, kids you, dropping out of school as they grow older? Or? Um, both. So okay. not attending because there is public schools and that's an issue in itself where like they're just not that great. But, um, you know, for a lot of parents, you still have to buy the uniform. You still have to buy the books. You have to pay for transport and you just can't afford that. And they rather the kids be working with them. Okay. So that's one. But then also for girls as they get older, especially when they start getting their period, there's not like good bathrooms and stuff, which actually, yeah. you know, some then once a month they're, they're not going to school, they fall yeah. behind and then then usually they just end up dropping out. So that's the highest, both in India and Pakistan, when they're watching. Okay. So that, not only just not attending school, but child labor, being yeah. put to work very, yes. very early. Yeah. Yeah. Whole, exactly. Whole range of A whole range of issues. Problems. Yeah. So and, you're, and you're thinking... <laughs> like, let me go and at least touch one point. <laughs> okay, <laughs> like, great. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so that, that was the vision that I went to grad school with. And, you know, a lot of people were behind me in that. And um, so that was the plan. That was the plan, <laughs> which you say ominously. <laughs> so, if this was a TV show, we'd yeah, be like, when da, we da, return. Da, da. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the, so a, a lot of things happened in that year, but it was definitely, you know, for me to go go back home, I, I had been away from home. So I went to boarding school. So I've been in boarding school since six and a half years old. Okay. So I've never really had a year at home. Mm. And my other siblings, like, have spent, you know, they've, after they graduated from high school they ended up like going to college at home so they like got to live with my parents and stuff and I've always said oh I really want that year at home with my mom especially like you know um so that was also part of my motivation of going back so um as grad school kind of I got into the second semester I I was in a very uh, a long-term relationship for about five years and I um I went through kind of like a, a depressive phase and I ended up like ending that relationship. Not that it was even bad, it was just like I, I'm kind of a new phase of Need my life, change. you know? Um, so when that relationship ended, it was also like that that guy was going to be staying in America. So I was like, oh, this is good. Like now I have no more ties. Like I'm going back home, you know? Because okay, yep. that was going to be a bit of like uh, an issue when it came down, you know, yeah. I'm going back to Pakistan. So I was like, oh, I'm home free and like, you know, ready to go. And then... Um, I ended up meeting someone. <laughs> like always happens. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So like a true millennial tech story, we actually met online. And, uh-huh. and uh, you know, I just gotten out of a relationship. And I wasn't really being serious, but we became friends. And, like, 
slowly it got like more and more serious and then I was like oh no like now what you right. know and I it's and gonna I, ruin everything yeah it's gonna ruin everything um so I mean so it's the guy that spoiler it's the guy that I ended up with but yes, uh, of <laughs> why I'm here but <laughs> he you know he knew from the beginning, I was just like, hey, this is a really important part of my life, and I, I, I'm going back. Yeah. Like, you know, and as we got more and more serious, we, you know, we, we talked about getting married, and we were like, okay, like, maybe we would stay here a couple of years and then go back. So that that was the idea. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we got it. We ended up getting engaged, and we talked about the wedding. And even for the wedding, like, his family did not want to come to Pakistan. And, and, a, and a bunch of stuff had just happened, like... I think a church had just been attacked in Pakistan. So, as Christians, like we, I said, like there's persecution and, yeah, and it's there was real. A, like a lot going on. Yeah. Right. So, and I and I totally understood. Like I was afraid for my own family, even mm-hmm. though I've like been through this multiple times. Yeah. So for a, for a family that's American and like never really left the country, that was really scary. So, yeah. and also for my husband Michael, like you know, kind of demotivated him to push for Pakistan sure, you know sure. so those kind of things were happening and um, we so we ended up having our wedding here and my parents came and stuff and it, it was wonderful mm-hmm. um, but I, I think slowly it also and in the last few years like a lot more has happened to the Christian community and I think that sort of made like made me worried about my family but also like less motivation for Michael to be like hey let's go like this yeah. is this is really great time to go and and we may still go but I think um, that was sort of hard for me right like I had had this whole idea of what my job was going to be what the work Absolutely. I would be doing with my life and like so passionate and all these people behind me financially supporting me to, through grad school and it was I, I kind of went through like a bit of depression I'd say for like two years of I like I, I was mo- I moved here right with Michael, but and and had a great job of um, getting to use my skills like organizational development and working with teams and inclusion. Yeah. But. Well, then let's not skip over that. Oh, so okay. You, you, yeah, because when you say you moved here, you moved to Cincinnati. Yeah. So we we, we Michael's got Michael's family is from Michael's family's from Loveland. So I moved okay. to Loveland. All right. For people that aren't from here, Loveland is a suburb of Cincinnati, just just to the north. Yeah. 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 So basically, from suburbia. From yeah, from suburbia <laughs> yeah. in in Cincinnati. And so yeah. you are, you got this plan. You go <laughs> yeah. to college in Thailand. You're going to go home. You're going to go to college in the United States. Yeah. So you're going to go home. Yeah. Fall in love with somebody. Get married. That's all wonderful. Political climate. Yeah. The logistics of it. All of that means well. Yeah. The dream is is Slowly. delayed and yeah. deferred. Yeah. And so what is um, so you both graduate. Uh, Michael moves here. Why, other than family? So he was actually in Columbus at the time. Okay. Yeah. So he, yeah, he moved here for basically f- to Loveland. Like, oh, we're gonna get married, so like, let's have some stability. Okay. Um, so, you know, part of when you talk about political climate, definitely the what's happening in Pakistan, but also, you know, it was a little bit scary for us because a lot of political climate was changing here in terms yeah, of immigration of yeah. and that was one thing where Michael was like dude like if you leave for you a year not get back. Yeah. and that that was like his big fear yeah which is entirely reasonable I right. have friends uh, I, I have uh, a friend who just married a, a woman from Scotland uh, immediately after they got married she couldn't get back into the country for I think it ended up being they said it was going to be three months I ended I think it ended up being eight or nine well yeah. so there's that is a very real fear you go right. back to Pakistan you may never make it back exactly yeah so I think that was also part of you know, there was a, lo- a big mix of what led us to like staying here, mm-hmm. and so yeah, we we moved to Cincinnati um, because he's he's from here, from you know Loveland. And but it not w- to sell. It, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but not to sell it short. You, the depression is real and is yeah. very understandable. You're yeah. you're forever away from your home. The only yeah. place you really know in the states is is, is Boston and Cambridge. Yeah. yeah. Yes, you're in love. This is wonderful. You're getting married. <laughs> but you're moving to a place you've never been, and yeah. and in the election era, it was it was a little bit really of a shock. Hard. Yeah, um, it was it, it was definitely yeah. And, and it, at first, I was like, oh, this is going to be great. And honestly, growing up in such diverse contexts was it was very difficult for me in Loveland at first. Yeah. Um, one, you're just like really closed off in general in the suburbs, but right. then it was just very homogenous, and uh, in general, people hadn't. Ex- 
weren't exposed to a lot of different things, so yeah. I was always like sticking out, kind of. Yeah, you yeah. Know? It's funny. Uh, on an earlier episode, I interviewed uh, Anne Marie and Luis, who are uh, from Venezuela. When they moved to Cincinnati, they moved to Loveland. They moved oh, in. That's they moved in with family uh, in Loveland, but still, they said exactly the same yeah. thing. Like here we are. This is a very white suburban neighborhood. <laughs> yeah, we stick yeah. out like a sore thumb. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I think it's important to note there that I had grown up with white people my whole life, but the difference was that they had been very exposed to a lot of different yeah. people and places. And in general, you know, just speaking in generalities, it, that's not the case in in Loveland. Yeah, and we're the it's lovely people in Loveland. Yes, yeah. <laughs> it's a beautiful place, but still yes. it is white suburban America yes. for the for exactly. the most part. Yeah. Yeah. So and at that point I was still, you know, pretty excited and, and like, oh this I'm starting a new life, you know. Yeah. But then with the immigration stuff also I, I wasn't able to work for like eight months. Okay. It just they cut my visa right then, like my work visa, as soon right. as we got married. So okay. it took, and everything was delayed. So that kind of added to the, what am I doing with my life now? You know, yeah, like yeah. I had this huge plan and here I am sitting in suburbia, just. Right, kind of cut off. It's cut far off, enough totally north that off. you're not in the public transit. Yeah. You know, you can't get into downtown. You can't travel. You can't see the yeah. city very I couldn't easily. get my license then either because I didn't have my, my visa. So mm-hmm. I was very cut off. Yeah. And Michael's working. He's here for a job. Yeah. Yeah, uh, so moves. so he ended up starting um, at a company up in Blue Ash, and he he started. He's a VR developer, so he started their VR development firm, okay, um, or department. So that that was going really well, mm-hmm. and that was cool to see at least for one of us that we were doing what we were really right. passionate about. Right. And so I'm kind of waiting for my visa and stuff, and um, you know, at this time, my my background is in like inclusion stuff so I'm like very aware of you know just racial stuff going on around me and like biases and being in Loveland Hmm. again people aren't exposed to that much stuff so I was just like surrounded by the stuff and constantly made to feel like oh I don't belong Mm -hmm. and that was just added to the whole what am I doing with my life you know and for people you know, for someone who's actually like in this work, it's just you're you're much more sensitive to it. Yeah, you're I'm like noticing, to it, so you're yeah, seeing it. I'm noticing every single microaggression, and not if it's just against me, but just generally talking about people of color and you know yeah. people from other countries, and just having to sit through that was like very difficult for me. <laughs> Do me a favor. Um, this was informative for me. Microaggressions. I yeah, I just don't want to be. I don't want to skip over that term. There okay. are people. There are people who may not know what that term sure, means. And microaggression sure. is a term that has become. Yeah. Much more uh, in the cultural dialogue. But from your perspective, for somebody that may not have heard that term, describe what a microaggression yeah. is. So a microaggression is, it's those, so micros meaning really small. It's those, it's those everyday small comments that you might hear people make that aren't quite blatantly mm-hmm. sexist or racist, but um, you know that it's coming from a place of, of bias. Yep. And it. What, the biggest thing with that is what I talk about in my work is that the culmination of those is what makes you feel like you don't belong. Right. Yeah. Right. So somebody might say, well, I'm not racist, but. Yeah. And that's maybe more, more than <laughs> yeah. micro. But yeah, yeah, those little tiny things that the cumulative impact of. And I think that's something we'll get into this. I think that's something that people that don't know, that don't experience. Yes. Uh, you know, uh, they haven't ever been excluded. They haven't ever been. Yeah. You know, treated that way, they have no idea what the cumulative effect of those microaggressions is, and it's really easy to say, "Well, that wasn't that That's wasn't a big that big deal. a deal. Why can't you just get over that it?" That one off, like, what's it's because the big you deal? experience a thousand of those exactly. every day, or, yeah. or yeah. so. Actually, and what's interesting about that is for Michael too. I feel like is um, my husband, who's much more aware than maybe the average person in Loveland, but for him. You know, I kind of told him about these microaggressions and what's happening, what I'm feeling here. And, you know, he was sympathetic towards it, but he wasn't empathetic until he watched this one movie called Get Out. I don't know if you've uh-huh. seen that. Oh, yeah, I yeah. love Get Out. He, he watched that. He was like, oh, my gosh, I get what you mean now. Yeah. Like, and I was like, thank you. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, totally. Like, I, I get it. Like, No, and it's something that you, I certainly wasn't able to even begin to comprehend it until friends kind of opened yeah. my eyes to it. And right. it is something that you, well, it's, it's why the work that you're doing now is so great, and we right. will we yeah, will we will get, get there. That. I love that about it. <laughs> yeah. So, you're you're in a city that you've never been in before. Yeah, you're experiencing everything that we just talked about, and yes, you are a specialist in this area, experiencing these things for yourself. 
But at the time, your husband is living his dream. He's, uh, for people, VR, AR, virtual reality, augmented reality, let me try. Virtual reality, everybody's probably somewhat familiar with because it's those uh, virtual environments. You put on the headset, you can play a game, but it's basically immersing yourself in a, in a virtual world. Augmented reality for people is a little bit different because it's a combination of the real world and the virtual world. Right. And that's probably the easiest way that I can yeah. explain it. But it's like... Um, Pokemon Go, like if anyone played Pokemon. Okay, there that's you go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, thank you. That is the perfect example. It's the real world and the virtual world combined. You usually are experiencing it through some sort of a device, yeah. and it's combining the two. Exactly. So um, I know there's a story behind it, but I don't want to... You know, yeah. Michael's part of uh, an initial startup. As I, as I recall, that one kind of goes under, and you guys decide that you're going to start... Yeah. A new a new business. And he's a developer doing this work, but now you're going to take on something on your own, which right. is yet another <laughs> yeah. big thing that you're taking on in a place you've never been. Yeah. So so he was actually part of like a larger company. They have a few headquarters in, I think, like Brazil and India and stuff. Okay. So it was a bigger company, but he was just starting the VR part of okay, it. Okay. Um, yeah. They, they started going under... I, for whatever reasons, and um, the reasons, the yeah. thousand reasons, <laughs> yeah. businesses fail. Yeah. Um, that they ended up like cutting the whole uh, VR team. Okay. And what's interesting about that is, you know, even as I was doing my work in consulting and stuff, Michael and I, this about three years ago, we we said, you know, the more that I learned about VR through him, through his work, and you know what I was doing, we were like, hey, there's a place for these two to come together, and we knew that three years ago, and we were like, oh, we need to do it diversity and inclusion through this like we need awesome. um to help like uh, people understand yeah. um and at that time we actually we even have a vision board and i actually still have it framed um so three years ago i created a vision board together and uh, uh, for us and it was like oh um you know we want to work in vr and we want to work like inclusion we want to bring these two together mm-hmm. um so it's on there and then there's also like we want to work with a creative team and we want to work with fortune hundreds and you know all these different uh, yeah. different pieces there and um so it was sitting there, but at that point, still I was thinking about Pakistan, and you know, so I wasn't like pushing towards that. Right, but right. It, it was kind of like, hey, we want to do this, but let's just put it to the side for a while. You know, okay. we we kind of have cushy jobs, and it feels nice not to have to work for yourself and all that like stress. Sure. So we put it to the side. So like, fast forward to Michael losing his job, mm-hmm. and um, now I'm thinking like. You know, for me, it didn't click like, oh, this is our time. For me, it was like, right. oh, I've been consulting and having a lot of fun traveling, and now I'm going to have to find a more stable job yeah, w- yeah. to get the health insurance. Oh, okay. Because <laughs> like, he had all that, and I was just like, kind of having fun. Right, you're a contractor, you know? you're doing yeah. consulting. So say more about that, because we kind of skipped over that. What kind of consulting are you doing, and for whom at that point? Yeah, so um, firstly, it was like right after Harvard, I did some work with Harvard and like other companies on the East Coast. Okay. So um, more about strategic inclusion, not okay. just like, oh, it's a it's a part of HR and like we're doing some trainings. It's like, sure. how do you in- integrate it into the full system with incentives? What are the policies that are put in place? Yeah. Um, things like that. Make and, it structural. Make exactly. It real. Ma- yeah. yeah. And make it um, tied to incentives because okay. that's what causes change. Yeah. 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 Um, and then, so was doing that on the East Coast, moved here. Finally, when my visa was allowed, I mm-hmm. started working for like a, a more boutique firm and again was like traveling to DC and stuff. Same things, helping companies to, with, um, you know, for example, like one company had like 80% turnover mm. and it was at, so like going undercover actually into their plant awesome. as an employee and oh, wow. getting to experience, hey, what is it like to go through orientation? What is it like to go through the first week? And it was bad. Um, yeah. th- and they were just not treating people like people. Yeah. And so it was, it comes back to inclusion as well. How do I feel like I belong? I'm part of the team. So reduce their turnover by like 30%. Wow. Yeah, it was really cool. <laughs> That's interesting. That's so great. I, I, part of the work that I do is consulting sometimes on organizational design for things like turnover and things like training and yeah. retention and all of that. Uh, and it's so much of it actually comes back to belonging, really, yeah. like to inclusion. Do I feel like I'm part of this team? But it's so hard very often for companies to do that in ways that aren't just window dressing. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's a whole That's a whole other discussion. I mean, yeah. I, um, <laughs> it's, it's, I, it's I was, interesting. Like episode 27 or something, Kelly Dolan of Engage Partners, we talked about that's a, a B corporation. Okay. And so it's a for-profit business with a social mission. Yeah. It's a social enterprise. And we talked a lot about how do you create places that retain people and make them yes. feel valued. Yes. And she was saying, well, it's just the golden rule. You just treat people like you want to be treated. But for the CEO, 
Yeah. That, that what does often that mean? doesn't yeah. click. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. this is this is the work that you're doing. Yeah. I'm, All of a sudden, Michael's out of work. Yeah. That company's like, gone under. I need a job. You got to find a job. Yeah. Yeah. So then, you know, for Michael and his team, um, they were like, well, you know, I, I was kind of part of the process, even though I wasn't part of the team at the time. I think, like, from the business side, they kind of needed someone. So mm-hmm. we kind of talked. And they they said, you know, they already knew that they had some massive clients wanting more work. Okay. So they're, they're like, we, we know that this is a thing, like, what, we're not just going to let this go. Like, and we know we're really good at it. Yeah, and the team is the team that he was working with at the prior place. Right. That team stays intact even exactly. though that part of the business exactly. disappears. Yeah. Okay. And so I, I was brought on, you know, slowly a little bit, just like helping from the business side. And the more that I got involved, I was like, oh, this, these are really technical founders and not um, definitely, like not the other side of Philosophical or culture. <laughs> culture or yeah. just business. Right, really. right, right. Yeah. Um, so I, I started helping a lot more and then eventually um, it kind of took a turn to like go more into inclusion mm-hmm. because right before they had actually been let go, I had helped develop a proposal for their company okay. um, for doing diversity and inclusion work for, gotcha. an, for someone. So they already knew that I was like well versed in this yep. area. So we started going towards that and then I was brought on like full time and it, only then did it did it click for me and Michael like, oh, this is on that vision board. This like, is what we said we wanted to do. Yeah, this, I was like, oh, like it didn't, I don't know why it took so long. And I think it's probably because there was so much fear involved right. for me that, oh my gosh, he just lost this really great job. Now I have to find like a, a permanent position. Um, so I wasn't really thinking like, yay. Well, yeah, and that's important That's important to stop and, and examine for a second because I imagine people listening to this podcast sometimes who are in those spaces saying, I want to do a thing. I've always wanted to do this thing. I have no idea how to do it. Yeah, and very often the moment of of transition is so fear dominated that the idea of using it as the springboard to do your your thing never really comes up. But but time after time, people have said, you know, that moment was the moment where the opportunity presented itself. Yeah. So I that's, just that's totally what it, that's exactly what that was for yeah, us. Yeah. yeah, even though there was so much fear, I, and I I'll, I'll still say this, like I even to this day, that that did not feel like me that was willing to take that risk. What do you mean? Because I'm someone who's like very well organized. I figure everything out beforehand. Like, what's the risk going to be? You know, yeah, yeah. you know, kind of hedge my, you know. Sure. You know, but this was just like, okay, we're just diving in. And, so and what it felt, was the risk? What was the big risk at that point? Well, um, it's not like we were backed up by anyone, like no VC funding and stuff. Like it wasn't like there was going to be any money. We were going to run out of savings, like all of us Mm -hmm. pretty soon. Um, So the risk was starting something yourself versus all of you going and getting day jobs. Yeah. Where it would be very secure and we know where the money's coming from. We don't have the stress of like running it. Right. So that, um, yes, I think, but there was something like in that moment where, where I had to like really decide, and Michael's like, "Yeah, we really need you. Like, can you come on?" And I, it was like, I, this is like going to be in a very Christian context, but it's like peace beyond understanding. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't, I, I don't know what other way to put it, but it was just like, whoa, like this, every aspect in this situation, I should be like drowning in anxiety, mm-hmm. but I feel really good about this. Right on. And this, this is. For the first time, like since since grad school and stuff, it started to feel like, oh, this is it. Like okay. this is it. Yeah. Um, not totally, but like at least that enough for me to feel like I, I should go it. down this path. Yeah. Yeah. And so yeah, we we started with going going down and you know created an LLC vector. Yeah. And um, we may not even have said that yet. Yeah, I don't know. I'm we sure I'll said it in the intro, yeah. but the company is called Vector. Yeah. If you're um, the website is vector.xyz. So yeah. if you're listening to this and you're at your computer. You want to check out what they do? Go to the website yes. and and check that out. So, but um, and I want to I want to check my version of the understanding against sure. the actual story. You, it didn't seem like you were able to necessarily dive right into the inclusion work yeah. as the meat and potatoes, so to speak, of what Vector did. When we very first spoke, a lot of the work that that you had gotten at that point was corporate work for large clients. Yeah, doing and this might help people understand as well what the potential for this is. So I, um, whenever it was that we first talked to, you know, two or three months ago, uh, Myra invited me over to the Vector offices or about a half a block from where we're sitting right now. And I put on the headset 
and they put me in some of the virtual environments. So there was one that was created for a corporate client, and I'm not going to name names because I don't know. You can yeah. you can do that yourself. Um, one of them was I was standing in a big box store, like it would be a Costco or it would be a, a Walmart, and looking at um, products on the shelf. And some of what you can do for corporate clients is shelf testing where... So I one of the things that I do is consulting for businesses that are trying to do new product development. And a lot of what they do is how do you learn about your product in the real world? Right, well, you create exactly. these store environments where somebody goes into a store and then you sort of watch their behavior. And they have the ability to do that virtually. So you're not spending thousands of dollars and hours and hours of, right. of time in a real store. Uh, the other is manufacturing environments where um, maybe a manufacturing company is setting up a couple of floors of a plant and you can allow them to move huge pieces of equipment around very, very quickly and create workflows. Yep, yep. That was amazing. So I'm telling your story, but I'm telling that because I want to I want to get to where the work yeah. is going now, but also say these are the kinds of things that you guys do, right. did yeah. and still do. Yeah. So what, one of those things like where you saw that big... Uh, like factory warehouse environment that was for GE okay. and that was for um, they actually ended up taking us to Germany with them um, mm -hmm. last November for um, it was actually part of an installation in their booth for one of the biggest like trade shows for additive manufacturing right so um, yeah so that's a great way to use VR as well to like increase your square footage in your booth at trade yeah. shows yeah. yeah absolutely and I want to tell the story because the inclusion work yeah that's, that's my I passion. know that's where your heart is, but I want to... <laughs> There's a like, lot more going on. I love on. what you guys are yeah, doing. Yeah. It's really cool work. And for companies that are thinking about, I, I have this huge human interaction yeah. experiment that I need to set up, whether it's product testing or physical environment or manufacturing or workflow or just how to set up, you know, I used to work at advertising agencies, how to set up the three floors of your building to facilitate right. good work and collaboration that's the kind yeah. of stuff that you can do. Right, and to be able to walk through it in yeah. VR too, I think that's really impressive. It's not just a 2D drawing or something, you know, or or even on the computer if you can do 3D, but this is yeah. like you're able to walk through it and really experience it. You let me do a welding training. Oh, this yeah. was, I would I never would have guessed <laughs> at this. I used to work as a welder. Um, oh, really? Yeah, know. yeah, and not in those those environments, Confined but space, yeah. uh, welding creates lots of, of, of toxic, noxious gases, and one of the things you have to be very aware in the environment that you're in, how much of that you're breathing. So Myra put me into this environment where I'm crawling through tunnels down in a manhole and stick welding in a very enclosed environment, and I have to check my oxygen meter on my wrist, and I have to pay attention to the cords around me, and it's a training environment. Right, right. Yeah, That's so amazing. we so we do we do a couple of areas and I'll just go over them quickly. So one is the training that you talked about, so safety training and it's a what it allows you to do is like that experiential learning, right? Yeah. Right now yeah. in a lot of trainings you're sitting there listening to someone talk and watching some like goofy 90s video yeah. with like a poem at the end. And with a desk and a notebook in yeah, front of you. And maybe you get to take like some multiple choice at the end right, or something, right? right? Um, this has shown to have like not 75% uh, higher retention okay. by act, by going through and learning in VR yeah. uh, compared to traditional learning. Experiential learning without right. the physical threat of exactly. actual death or electrocution. Right. Yeah, so you can take like very new, you know, trainees through it without worrying like, oh, have I taught them enough and all that. Yeah, yeah. So that's a huge area for us. We love that. And it's like gamified learning, right? So you yeah. get instant feedback of whether you're doing it right or wrong. Right. And it's through those mistakes that we actually learn the most. Yeah. But in risky situations, you can't. You're gonna die you can't if you make, make those mistakes. mistakes. Right. right, right. So training, and then, like you mentioned, uh, the product visualization. When someone has a new product, um, like for for PNGs, like Old Spice, like we're able to like recreate um, some designs that they have just in 2D, mm -hmm. and. Um, you know, they're able to walk through the store, compare it with their competitors. Like, does this look good? Does it not? Um, how is the light hitting it? Yeah. And so, the, and then also we went to the next level and ended up doing consumer testing with them in right. VR too, so that they could take it all around the country rather than everyone come to their one store. Right. Brick or whatever they call yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, brick and mortar. No, yeah. that's that's fantastic. And the yeah. environments are amazing. You step into it. I mean, it feels, yeah, feels it feels real. a little bit like you're in a video game, but it mostly yeah. just feels completely real. Yeah. Other yeah. than that you took off whatever protections were and I could walk through the walls and <laughs> yeah. knock everything down and make a huge mess. It's fun. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah it's, um, it's, 
I think once you get in there, one of the important things is as long as it's interactive, the more real it feels to you. Yeah. So, you know, we've been to, it's really fun for us like to go to corporate clients and like have them go through it, like these C-suite people and yeah. when they like forget that they're in the virtual world. So like we've had people um, holding the controllers uh-huh. and there's a table in the virtual world, not in the real world, and they're about to leave the, the physical controllers on the uh. table in the virtual world. And we're like, whoa, 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 we'll grab those. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, and they're like, oh my gosh, like I totally forgot. Right, this that's is how immersive real. it is. Yeah. So that, all of that is wonderful. If you're a, a, a company or business that could make use of that, please contact Myra and yes, the team. And that is fantastic stuff that they're doing right here in, in Northside in Cincinnati. But now let's talk about, with all of that context, yes. let's talk about the amazing work that you're doing in inclusion right now. Sure. Because this is what really blew my mind. When we met and talked the first time, a lot of our conversation was about, you had heard the interview uh, with Melis Idawan, one of the earlier shows, we were talking about that, both the, the sort of immigrant experience and the female experience in the corporate world. And I think we just scratched the surface at that point that you were starting to do this work. But now, if you look at your Instagram feed, uh, it's real stuff that you guys are doing and training people. So tell a little bit about um, how you could take somebody like me who doesn't have personal experience of discrimination and put sure. me in an environment where I get to, for the first time, really feel those microaggressions mm. and start to personalize what that means. Yeah, so <clears throat> I think that, you know, like I said, me and Michael, like he had the VR side and I had the inclusion side, and we're like, oh, there's something magical here. Mm-hmm. And like you're saying, it it lets you really be that person or that character. Yeah. So, I, and I think in our current time, like this is the greatest empathy tool that we have access to. Yeah. And one of the biggest reasons for lack of inclusion or, you know, just people leaving companies is um, not feeling like they belong. And it's usually because there's a lack of empathy because people haven't understood what their lived experience is, mm. right? Yeah. So this this tool, this you know, allows you to, one, you are that character and you're getting to go through the day as that character. So, you know, right away, you, um, we make it very obvious that that's who you are and they'll, you, you're not only just, there's a lot of these kinds of tools out there, but the difference is that we actually let you interact with the world. Yeah. A lot of times it's just like what we call 360 video and it's like, okay, you, things are just happening to you. And yeah. when I went through those, that really actually kind of irked me because I was like, hey, I got a voice and mm-hmm. let me use it. Yeah, right, <laughs> you know? right. Like, let me have a word with this man the way that he's treating me, you know? <laughs> yeah. So what we do is, you're, as you're going through it and you'll feel like different, really nuanced biases because that's what, and when we talk about microaggressions, it's those small things. So I'll give you some examples of, you know, in our gender bias one, you're a female in the workplace and, you know, your coworker firstly comes in late, doesn't really do his part, but then also is like cutting you off as you talk. And mm-hmm. that's a really common thing, you know, yep. um, as you're speaking, it kind of cuts you off or um, then the boss comes in and he just looks at the male and asks him all the questions, even though you're the lead and you've done most of the work, yep. right? And um, even when you answer a question, he re-asks it to the male. Right. Um, and these are all things, yes, some of them are my experience, but I've done to be able to create this, done a lot of research from the back end. One, like this is my area of specialty, but also, um, you know, obviously secondary research, a lot of like meta-analysis and mm-hmm. lit reviews of what is gender discrimination. Yeah. Um, so it comes with a lot of insight from there and also done like own my own like primary interviews. Right, So right. kind of like what are the common um, d- areas of bias that we see in the workplace? Yeah. So, yeah, it... You're, you know, you're facing all these, as a character, you're facing all these biases and then um, things will happen and, and we let you decide how do you want to react to it, right? Mm. So we say, you, you get to actually choose. So it becomes a branching narrative. Right. So sort of choose your own adventure. Choose your, yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, yeah. okay, what do you want to do? So you get to like respond and based on that, you know, it will branch out to another narrative yeah. and um, kind of give you, um, each scenario changes based on your decisions, which yeah. is like, I think really... Awesome, because what we wanted it to be, one, that you have agency, yeah. but also we didn't want it to be, because when we when I first started developing the script um, and just talking to different, like, DNI experts and, like, my colleagues at Harvard, we didn't want it to be that the onus was on the female or the person of color, that, hey, if you just stand up, everything works out yeah, fine, right? Yeah, right, right, right. And that is not the reality. I yeah. can stand up a hundred times and then just be told I'm difficult rather than things work yeah. out, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, 
I wanted to show that it's not just like, okay, if I stood up for myself, all good. It's it's like now what else might happen? Like what other way will this go? Yeah. Yeah. And it might help a little bit where the guy becomes a little more aware maybe, but it's not always the, the situation. Right. So when you you wrote the script, you developed all this, it, it's a lot of coding. Yeah. The first time that you stepped into it, how authentic did it feel to your experience? So actually the first time I stepped into it, it was still very glitchy. So it was still kind of, <laughs> kind of funny. But for me, um, it... Honestly, it's a little hard for me to talk about it just because I've heard the script. Like, I can literally sure. say the script, and we like we like repeat lines in the office all the time, and uh-huh. people are dreaming about it. Like, that's how much we've heard <laughs> it. So, but for me to have had so many females go through it, like, that's what's been really cool. Okay, where they've come through, and like, actually, one um, one friend uh, went through it uh, from PNG actually, and she mm-hmm. said, "Oh my god!" Like, she gave me a new insight that I had never. I didn't think about as I developed it with my team was that she said um, it's really cool for me to be able to the character is Sue that you're playing and she's Uh like it's really cool that I was able to like make choices for Sue and kind of stand up to things she's like it made me realize that I'm facing these things every day at work Mm -hmm. and I should be standing up for myself Hmm. and all of us like we were interviewing her and all of us like got goosebumps and we're yeah. like, whoa, like this is an empowerment tool too. Right, not just a training tool yes. for me to be aware, but an empowerment tool for people that are going through it every exactly. day. Exactly, yeah, and it was just wow. like, oh my gosh, this is a whole, there's layers to this, yeah, you know? Yeah. And she was like, I'm not gonna deal with this anymore. Like, I, I need to stand up for myself. That's and I was amazing. like, I was like, thank you, that's awesome. Like, thank you for telling me that. Yeah. And then other women have just, you know, um, we're actually gonna release a video with some of the reactions because it's just so great. But some women have like come out of it and been like, oh my gosh, this happens to me every day. And one of the first groups I went through it was actually 8451, and they were like, uh-huh. they're like, I could have written this script. <laughs> like, you know, these are things that are like happening every day. So, um, and, it, and it's not, I don't want to, there's people who are very aware, right? Mm-hmm. And it's not like all men are bad or all, yeah, yeah. you know, it's just we, the more that we can create awareness, the better for all of us. Because yeah. some of us aren't trying to be mean. We're just not aware, you know? Right. So to be able to go through that and as a man, you know, we've had um, some, um, a lot of like men go through it too. And it's just been really cool where they're like, oh, I've never seen that perspective or mm-hmm. I never knew what that felt like. And that's right. exactly. That's the point. That's the whole point. Yeah. yeah. That's fantastic. So talk a little bit about that experience of the people that you've taken through it and yeah, how, how challenging is it for them? What are their reactions when they're coming out? Yeah, so we've had a real um, mixed bag, um, which is good. It's really good data for us. Yeah, sure. So, you know, obviously, like I said, like the women going through and being like, oh, I could have written this or um, a lot of them coming out and just being really reflective of oh, this reminds me of when this used to happen to me at work. And that's been really cool to hear those stories too. Um, it's been cool for me as a female, but especially for, I'm on a team with all guys. Yeah. And it's really cool that, you know, they, they want to do this work and they're they're really interested because it's a whole new world that they didn't know about it. Yeah. But to not only hear my stories, but hear all these women go through and, and like get those that emotion back from them yeah. um, and hearing what they've been through has been really enlightening for them as well. Yeah, because I can imagine it could be potentially easy to dismiss it. Well, you know, this was Myra's idea. This was Myra's script. It might only be her experience. Exactly. And then have woman after woman after woman say... Validated. Yeah, 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 Yeah. totally. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, it's been cool to, like, bring out from my research, like, these are the common biases. Mm -hmm. And then, so, you know, I've had that backed up, but then to actually have women go through it and validate it again has been really cool. Yeah, and it's got to be cool to see finally, after all the story of, you know, you with this desire as a teenager to do this work, going to college, now to see these two worlds merge and to see this yes. this real thing that your desire for so long has been to create. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. It's, you know, when, because this, like you said, we started focusing a lot on the product visualization and like safety training and and this was kind of on the back burner for mm-hmm. a long time and I kept saying guys this this is this, this is, is where it's at. yeah I was like this is what's gonna get us big like I kept right saying on. that but just we had to do obviously we're not VC funded so we had to do what was paid yeah, projects right, right. and then finally when we did do it and then they started seeing like you know Tech Ohio did a story on us and since you know and stuff yeah. and then the team was like oh this is kind of big and to see it now 
finally at this point where people are going through it, like it, it like kind of brought tears to my eyes the first yeah, time. I was like, this yeah. is happening. And, you know, for so long, I kind of went through that of like, what am I doing with my life? Like this whole, the trajectory I had for myself for females in Pakistan, right. like what, have, what am I what did I do with my life, basically? Like, what happened, you yeah, know? Right. I went to a great school and still I have no, like, vision now. And mm. to be at this point where, for the first time after so long, it was like, this is where I'm supposed to be. Yeah. It was such a cool feeling. That's beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> I, I can imagine these issues, you know, it's funny because the, the cultural word, word is woke. Yeah. You know, yeah. like, are you, are you woke to these issues? Yeah. Are you aware? And what that, what that really means when you kind of unpack it is, is like, have you awakened to the reality that there's something other than your experience? And a lot of the discussions on the show have been around issues related to that. And I can imagine people get it or they don't get it. They get it to varying degrees. Your experience until you, until you have another experience is what you know. And a lot of the cultural resistance to these issues that are now really politicized, the, the general reaction is like the, you know, not all males reaction. Yeah. Like not all, not of, us all, are, that's, not that's, all of us are like that. Yep. Well, it doesn't matter. <laughs> yep. First of all, that doesn't matter. Like, yeah. shut up with that. <laughs> and, and secondly, like if somebody is listening to this and simply says, well, I'm not, you know, fine. I'm not convinced that this is a problem. This is just people making mountains out of molehills and like these issues of discrimination, like people are just being oversensitive. Like, I just want to challenge somebody to step into somebody else's shoes and say, what would it cost you to admit yeah. that somebody else has an experience other than you and to be empathetic to that experience? And that's why this is so great. Not everybody can come to Northside. Yeah. And you're welcome on, to, though. Uh, come on. And put on the headphones, <laughs> yeah. but, you're, but you're welcome to. Yeah. But just to say, look, this is where the research yes. meets the reality of lived experience and that you are doing meaningful work to get people into an environment where they can actually experience. I think um, one, of the, one of the biggest changes in the last few years for me with regard to my awareness of this was, was literally the Me Too movement as expressed on Facebook. I thought I was pretty woke with regard to a lot of this stuff. I thought I was pretty aware of what my you know, partners and friends mm. were going through until I saw that every single woman I know had a Me Too story. Wow. And then I couldn't say, oh, well, you know, yeah, like some people go through this and it's a small percentage of men and it's a small percentage of women. No, it's all women yeah, to some degree. It's all minorities to yeah. some degree. Right. And being able to say for a second, like I'm willing to set aside my privilege that I have as a white male and enter into your world for a second and experience how difficult it might be for you every day is something we all have to do if we're going to figure yeah. out how to live together. I'm going to step off my soapbox because it's not no, my no, soapbox. No, I, I love hearing that. It's, it's encouraging always to like hear people talk about it. Yeah. But I think it's really, really important work. It's great to hear that it's like this realization of so many of your dreams. Yeah. I, I think it's really, you know, like I said, it was just this idea of what I was going to be doing with women in Pakistan. And I didn't, again, like a lot of people supported me to get to that place. And I, I kind of that depression was also part of that, like, I'm letting so many people down. Mm. Um, and I never in a million years would have thought, oh, I'm going to be helping, like, minorities and females in America. You right. know, you always think, like, oh, we're going from America to help the rest of the world. But I'm like, oh, there's a lot of help needed here, too. Yeah. And, you know, this is where I am in my journey now. And, you know, if you had probably talked to me even six months ago, maybe I would have still been in my depressive state, yeah. you know? So, like, now you're getting, like, at the top of where I'm really excited. <laughs> but it's also too important, to, I think, I just want to say, because it's, for some people, it takes longer to get out of that. And I, I just really want to, like, give time for that to say, right. like, it's okay to be in that state. And maybe um, it's kind of hard to talk when you are in that state. Though, yeah, you know? and maybe that state is what you need yes. to go through and take your time in order to figure out what the thing is. What it is you really want to do. Yeah. yeah. But, yeah, so I, I I feel really good now and just, I'm, I'm so... I, I was, you can probably hear it, but I'm just like so passionate and so excited right. about it all the time. And um, just, just it, I'm at that point where I realize, oh, these were all the things that were coming together for this. Yep. That's what it feels like. To make it possible. And, and I know that's like a really awesome place to be, but again, I want to talk. Good. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, like obviously not everyone's in that space, but it's, it's really cool to be, to be here now. And it doesn't necessarily mean like 
oh, this is what I'm doing for the rest of my life. But yeah. right now, for the first time in so long, it's like, oh, this makes sense. Yeah. And and eventually, like, I do hope I, I can do work in Pakistan, and maybe it's going to be through a different way than I thought. Sure. But to be... Um, to be able to, especially right now with our gender bias stuff, be working with women and and just like helping um, men feel, be more aware of what's going on. Yeah. I think just like providing tools for, for both sides to totally. be able to talk about it. Totally. And one of, one of the cool things th- of going through this experience is we ask them questions at the end of it. So like, you know, how did this experience make you feel? And there's like different range of emotions. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, there's anger on there, there's neutral and and frustrated and I think when we when we run through um, companies through this it's that data is going to be really powerful because yeah. there's going to be a bunch of questions asked and we're going to be able to do debriefs and be like hey 15 of you like felt really angry like what was that anger about and it's going to give women the place of oh they're like there's 14 other people who felt angry this is now a shared experience that I can talk about and explain what that anger is, because I right. face that on a daily basis. Yeah, and so much of the hindrance to speaking up and changing it is feeling alone, like I'm the feeling only alone, one who's going right? through this. Yes, and yeah. I, I think that's what's so powerful, is like, you can't, it's not just like a video like you've you've taken from the store and like showing people and like, oh, but that doesn't happen here. Now I can show you, no, no 15 of you are, yeah. <laughs> are angry. What's no, that about? Quantitative this is you research guys. to back yeah. this up and this that is will you only guys. grow over time. Yeah, exactly. So we're using it as a diagnostic tool as well. Like yeah. the experience is really important. I'm really, I want to elicit that emotion. I want empathy. That's my goal because that's what leads, you know, perspective taking is what leads to, to empathy. <laughs> but I want it to be like, research background like I want it to be based in something where you can have your team can have an assessment to be like this is where the state is right Right, now where do we go from here yeah what do your parents what have they thought of your journey you talked about your own disappointment yeah of feeling like you weren't getting home yeah I don't want to I don't want to pry that's your family's business but I I sort of want to know like how have they been with you through all of this and then what do they think about this work that you're doing now Okay, so obviously, like I said, medicine would have been number one. Sure, yeah. yeah. And then, you know, it's funny that I'd be considered a black sheep. Like, I went to Harvard and I'd still be considered a black sheep. You're the Harvard-educated black sheep. Yeah. Yeah. But um, I think think mostly for my parents, you know, like a big part of for South Asian culture is just to be like stability is what they want for Mm -hmm. their kids. And my mom was always like, you know, as long as my kids are settled, whatever they're doing, as long as they're settled. Um, I don't think that... I don't know if they're going to listen to this, but I don't. I don't think that they fully understand what I'm doing, yeah. and and it's because like my parents are still in their work, like they're in their 60s and they're still really involved in their right. work. So, you know, my sister's in Chicago in residency, and you know, she that's really easy context for them to understand. Yeah, they get that. They get that, and um, even like my brother doing, you know, if he's doing like molecular biology, it's still in the medical realm, and they can like understand that he's in the UK, but they get it. Yeah. Um, for me, I. I'm doing business one, like, which is so different. And then like virtual reality. I mean, every time my dad loves it, I will say he, every time we, so we went home and took like some headsets and stuff. And he was, he was like, I have the video. His mouth was just like hanging open. That's great. And it was cause he got to go inside the cell and like see oh, it from, right. he's like, I need this for my nurses. Like right, I need this right, for my nurses. Right. And anytime I post something on Twitter about like training and different kinds, he's like, the medical field is what needs this. <laughs> you should be doing this in the medical field, like, you know, creating, like, yeah. you know, I was like, yes. There, I was like, yes, there's tons of applications. We'll get but, there. We'll get there. Yeah. Give us yeah, a second. Yeah. So, um, so he, they get VR and they're, they're excited about it, but I don't, I think this is going to be one of those things until they experience it, they won't know. And right. thankfully they're coming in like end of June. Cool. So I really do, we'll take a headset and like, they'll be in Chicago and to be able to share that stuff. Good, but good. they, when I was doing the organizational development stuff, mm-hmm. my dad got that, and he was like, "Whoa, that's like really cool stuff." Yeah. Um, so I mean, this is kind of related to that. But yeah, absolutely. Yeah, related. he he's really, they're really big about cultural competency. Mm-hmm. Like, sorry, I, <laughs> cultural competency. Yeah. And they, so they're gonna get that part of it because this is really cultural competency. It's absolutely. social competency, absolutely. right? It's really just emotional intelligence, and they're yeah. huge about that. My dad's really big about that. So if I talk about it in that context. You'll get it, but diversity and inclusion is very much like a Western, yes, like concept where we're we're just talking about it in different ways in other parts of the world. Yeah, yeah. What? Uh, yeah, I mean, using technology to build social and cultural competency, though, is a wonderful. I hadn't really 
thought about the intersection. I mean, that's everything that we're talking about. Yeah. But yeah. that's that's good stuff to explain. And it sounds like you, we were talking about you not being able to go back. You haven't been able to move back, but you move do back. go back yeah. to get to visit. So I went back, um, I think last year for, yeah, it was the first time my family, so because my family's like all over the world, mm-hmm. it was the first time I had seen my brother in six years. Oh, wow. It was kind of crazy. Um, that's part of, I guess, the international lifestyle. Yeah. But it was the first time our family all got together and with like the first time with our husbands and wives and stuff. So it oh, was really cool. So good. Yeah. And then my parents will come in uh, June. So great, I'll get great. to see them. Again. How do your siblings feel about it? Do you talk to them about it much? Sounds like they're pretty busy. Uh, about like my job or yeah, yeah. like our, our work. Um, yeah. Like actually my, uh, one of my younger brothers does like data analysis. So he's actually helping me with the research side, cool. um, which has been really cool. Like he does data visualization and stuff. Yeah. So that's been cool. Um, again, I, it is really hard. We talk, we you know we do WhatsApp and chat and stuff, but it's mm-hmm. really it's really hard being so far away. Like yeah. that's actually a real for me like the biggest pain point. You know, it's just like right. oh I I want to be around my family. Like all these milestones I don't get to share with them. But yeah, um, yeah, that is hard. But they kind of know what I'm doing, and I share like website and stuff. But until they're here, they're right. not going to get Until they it. can put on the headset and walk yes. through it. Yeah. Well, and the same is true for anybody who's listening. Until you can put on the headset and walk through it, it's yes. really difficult to explain how Definitely. amazing this is. But it sounds like the chances are increasing for people yeah. and, and to we're, do more of that. You know, right now we're working with, like, we're trying to figure out how to exactly pitch it like do we pitch it as social competency because that's all it really is but are people going to understand what that means right. you know like you need to take the current pie we need to take a piece of it to make sense for sure, something new sure, so sure. um but we are using it for like leadership because really it is if you want to be a good leader you got to have good eq yeah. and yeah. you know um and just be aware of how you're working with your employees so um we're in. We're talking with like GE Aviation right now, and we're gonna actually run their C-suite through it. So awesome. it's cool. And I did not know like what um, huge advocates of like inclusion GE Aviation was. Like it was. That's wonderful. It's been amazing to talk to them and just um, to see like how not just like inclusion but sexual harassment issues and stuff. Yeah. So um, we want to. Right now we're focusing on gender, but we you know we want to build out something about race, yeah. about LGBTQ. We want to build out about accessibility. Like yeah. there is not. A limited amount of content like there's so much you know yeah yeah and um so that's gonna be next steps but we want this to be eventually software as a service model where we you're, you're just buying this like just like 399 um dollar headsets yeah buy, yeah, buy yeah. Head, yeah buy the headphone we review in a beautiful package and like your team can go through it um we will change the issue like every six months if you want like sure. it can be race and then it can be like other stuff so what a great yeah. idea. I mean, it's it's so good because even in conversations with people about how do you increase the EQ in leadership teams, how do you how do you awaken somebody to an experience that that isn't theirs in a way that they can actually... Empathy comes from experience, from shared experience. You can't empathize with something shared you can't imagine. Shared experience, that's it, yeah. You know, and, and the more you experience it, the better you can imagine it, the more you can imagine it, the more you can empathize with somebody, and then the more you can change behavior yes. around it. So this as opposed to just reading a book or you know yeah, going the through case a classroom studies, training. the role playing it's right. it's yes you're hitting it but it's also super goofy trying to do role playing yeah, you know yeah, yeah. and i think that um, randall from mastercard just came had this awesome interview which i reposted on my linkedin cuz i was like yes randall like the, i love this and it, he talked about yeah unconscious bias is great training is great but it's talking about like oh when at 5 year old i felt excluded or something what we really need to talk about is in context of yes. what's happening because yes. that's what is going to lead to a path of behavioral change is when you're seeing it in context and so you know he was talking about he does it through case studies by like um, talking to people his employees and being like what are the things that are happening mm-hmm. and I was talking to him about that we're taking that a step further yeah. yes we're taking those complaints but we're like letting you step into them yeah. not just talk about them or read about them yeah a little, and, little case study for what happened to somebody a week ago but exactly. like enter into that experience enter into and yeah what did that feel like and why were they you know and then have like a, a session after like what were the emotions that came up and why would someone feel like that and yeah, know, why would someone do that every hr department of every company in america want not wanting something right like you, you would hope yeah 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 if they have the budget <laughs> right right yeah if they can afford it if they can afford it but yeah. it's getting cheaper as well right like yeah. right now we're using 
um, headsets that were like $1,200. Now we're going to start using something that's $399. Like right. Oculus, like Facebook just came out with something, which we just got two days ago, and we're pretty pumped about it. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Making it more and more and more accessible. Accessible, yep. Cool. Well, Myra, this is great work. I love it. I love hearing what you're doing. I love hearing your story. And yeah. I can't wait to see where you guys take it. It seems like a, a huge need and a great opportunity. So, well, yeah, thank we'll you. Be watching, and if anybody, I'll, uh, you know, we'll put the, the information up on our website, links to their site. If this is interesting to you, find out more, visit, hire them, bring them in to do what you do. But thanks yeah. for spending the time with us. Definitely, yeah, and um, we'll do like you know we did with you. We'll do demos, and we've gone to companies, and and um, I think. Part of our, our thing is about education, too, yeah. like just telling about what's possible. So thank you so much for having me. Oh. This was so fun. We finally made it happen. We made it happen, yes. All right. Thanks, Myra. This episode of The Distiller was recorded live at Sidewinder Coffee, a wonderful independent neighborhood coffee shop located at 4181 Hamilton Avenue in Northside, Cincinnati, Ohio. Thanks to Brandon and the Sidewinder crew for hosting us on a holiday morning, especially at short notice when we had another location fall through. You can link to Sidewinder's website and social media pages from our website at thedistillerpodcast.com. And thanks finally to Myra Ballantyne for hanging out with us and telling her story. The work she and the Vector team are doing is not only really cool from a technology standpoint, it's also deeply important in terms of the education and the understanding that these tools facilitate. I have no doubt you're going to be hearing more about this work in the future. And if you're interested in learning more or in hiring Vector for any of the great work they do, visit our website at thedistillerpodcast.com where we have links to their website and social media pages. And you can also see a video demo of their work. The Distiller is produced, recorded, and hosted by me, Brandon Dawson. Our show is mixed and edited by Justin Golden, with logo design by Scott Ryan and video work by Mike Helm of Minute Moments Pictures. You can find The Distiller wherever you listen to podcasts, and you can listen and download every episode of the show at thedistillerpodcast.com, where we also have links, photos of the guests, and a map of every one of our show locations. If you like what we're doing, please follow, like, and share our posts on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And you can also help support The Distiller and help us cover some of the costs involved in producing and airing the show by going to thedistillerpodcast.com and clicking on the Become a Patron button for more information. And finally, we do love it if you rate and review The Distiller wherever you listen. That actually is meaningful to helping us get the word out about the show. You can always get in touch with us. You can email at mail at thedistillerpodcast.com to tell us who you think should be on the show to talk about their search for meaningful work or where you think we should record the next episode. But whether you do it by email, on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, please do drop us a line. We'd love to hear from you. So until next time, I'm Brandon Dawson. Thank you for listening to The Distiller. Bye-bye.